Sorry, old sport, I thought you knew. This is the OK Gatsby colon, is Nick Carraway gay or what? That's I figured the subtitle of the <laughs> podcast would be. Yeah, this is our exploration of mainly that. <laughs> OK, 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 OK. And welcome to episode two of the OK Gatsby. I'm Terrence Hartnett. I'm Kevin Lopkovich. What's going on? Today we're going to cover chapter two. Yeah, it's a wild chapter. We got affairs. We got a weird, dusty village. <laughs> we have homosexuality. We got parties, homosexuality, question mark, elevators. Elevator shafts? <laughs> Etc. Elevator shafts, all kinds of elevators yeah uh, it's a big elevator chapter it's mostly um it's, it's elevators that drink yeah an elevator up classes huh huh perhaps perhaps no not really <laughs> no not everything's a metaphor you wish myrtle all right so yeah so first off we're going to start with um one of the most in your face metaphors of the book is this little stretch of land in between long island and manhattan Yes. Known to locals as Queens. <laughs> <laughs> this is nowhere area. Yeah, so it's de- so that yeah, so it's being described on this train that I the Nick Carroll would take like to work every day or they take anytime you gotta go to New York. Every time you gotta go to New York from this Long Island neighborhood. Or drive. Or take a train yeah. or drive. The tracks are alongside the road. This is So there's no avoiding it. That's the point. Yeah. Um, and it's described, so about halfway between West Egg and New York, the motor road hastily joins the railroad and runs beside it for a quarter of a mile, so as to shrink away from a certain desolate area of land. This is a valley of ashes, a fantastic farm where ashes grow like wheat into ridges and hills and grotesque gardens, where ashes take the forms of houses and chimneys and rising smoke, and finally with a transcendent effort of men who move dimly and already crumbling through the powdery air. So it's... Ash already. We're up. Ashes have like a million metaphors attached to them. Yeah. And it's ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Yes. Death. So yeah. it's already death, but there's also just like poverty. It's basically the, every rich person going from Long Island to Manhattan has to walk through literally poor people covered in ash. It's a face. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. The even, it's like even the men are ash gray men. Yeah, ash gray men swarm up with leaden spades and stir up an impenetrable cloud, which screens their obscure operations from your sight. So it's literally workers covered in ash. Yeah. Uh, but my favorite part is that you have to sit there for sometimes up to a half hour and look at this. <laughs> so it makes the rich literally stare at the inequality they've created, where these men are covered in ash. And they have to just watch as these people like struggle to live while they're in their fancy train cars going from fancy party to fancy party. <laughs> yeah, imagine a guy like holding his newspaper up slightly higher so he just has to <laughs> look look the mechanic in the eye. The guy who's just you know I don't know what, what they, they they farm dust. Is that what they do here? It's like a, it's an industrial yeah, area. Yeah, it's basically an industrial area that like all the factories just cover everyone in dust. It's like a really brutal, un like unlivable area that. They have to watch people live in while they are living elaborate, luxurious lifestyles. Well, someone's got to grow the ashes. We need ashes, so someone's got to be out there farming them and, you know, harvesting them every year. So this is where that, that happens, the Valley of the Ashes. And then here's the big, big metaphor of the book. But above the gray land and the spasms of bleak dust which drift endlessly over it, you perceive, after a moment, the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. The eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg are blue and gigantic. The retinas are one yard high. 
They look out of no face, but instead from a pair of enormous yellow spectacles, which pass over a non-existent nose. Evidently, some wild wagon of binoculars set them up there to fatten his practice in the borough of Queens and then sank down himself into eternal blindness and forgot them and moved away. But his eyes dimmed a little by many painless days under the sun and rain, brewed on over the solemn dumping ground. So these people are always watched by the by these giant eyes. These giant eyes on a billboard for... And there's almost no disagreement that these are the eyes of God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what's... I the. The relationship of God to this area is very interesting. One, the rich have to uncomfortably pass by the eyes of God. Yeah, I like that. And it makes them uncomfortable to be in this area where God is watching. Mm-hmm. Two, God is always watching the poor. Yeah, he's uh, he's right there. God it's lives very, in Queens. Very Jesus yeah. version of the poor. God lives in Queens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but two, the line that's really interesting, uh, forgot them and moved away. Yeah, that Eckelberg forgot them and moved away. Or so he went blind. Either, yes. So that's saying that God, in Fitzgerald's mind, or Nick Carraway's mind, that God has abandoned this area. He was watching, yeah. and then he grew blind cause, and could not see anymore. Yeah, he's not watching anymore. Maybe he got some ashes in his eyes or something. But clearly, if people as rich as Gatsby are allowed to just be criminals and to talk down to these people and, you know... And and even Tom Buchanan just allowed wealth for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> God has abandoned these people. Has, yeah. Like, who literally <laughs> shovel ash all day. Yeah. <laughs> they shovel, they shovel, uh, yeah, they shovel the symbols of death away from themselves as fast as possible, <laughs> but it still covers them in a brutal slime. <laughs> They've become ash men. Yeah, it's terrible. Good. So we see this because Tom is taking uh, is taking Nick on a little excursion out to New York City, right? Yes. Uh, uh, so he go. So they're going out. I think I don't know why they were going to New York. He doesn't say initially, but then uh, they're both on this train, and there was always a halt there at least a minute. It was because of this that I first met Tom Buchanan's mistress. Um, so this is what I like is that the fact that he had one was insisted upon whenever he was known, wherever he was known. His his acquaintances resented the fact that he turned up in a popular restaurant with her and leaving her at a table sauntered about, chatting with whomsoever he knew. Though I was curious to see her, I had no desire to meet her, but I did. Uh, I went up to New York with Tom on the train one afternoon, and we stopped by the ash heaps. He jumped to his feet and, taking hold of my elbow, literally forced me from the car. Yeah, he wants. I want you to meet my girl. Yes, uh, but what, else, what I like is that he takes her to restaurants and goes, "Hey, friends, meet my mistress." <laughs> <laughs> like even he is so rich, he doesn't even have to play by the rules of the rich. <laughs> like that's how little he like. He's like Nick is obviously very charmed by Gatsby because Gatsby, as much as he's new rich, very much plays by the rules of like a perfect gentleman. Yeah, charming, do everything right. He's got style. He's got elegance. And Tom is just this, like, meathead that yeah. has a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. Even though Tom's old money, Gatsby's new money, Gatsby is representing, like, the way that he's, he's, he's classier, yeah. you know? And Cl- Tom is definitely de classe. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so then we meet. Because uh, Tom's drunk. I think he tanked up a good deal at luncheon, and his determination to have my company bordered on violence. The supercilious assumption was that on Sunday afternoon, I had nothing better to do. A lot of things almost happen in this book. <laughs> yeah, they're on the way. Bordered <laughs> on violence, he almost says something t- to startle Jordan when he first meets her in the last <laughs> chapter. 
It's always a lot of people just about to act <laughs> naturally, and then they stop because the rules of society say they have to stop. And then things get real. Yes, yeah. until the, those breaks go away, and then it's really unpleasant. <laughs> um, but yeah, he gets drunk. He's like, I got to introduce my wife's cousin to my mistress. Yeah, again, he, the, thing, the thing is, like, yeah, Tom wants Nick to like him. Like, it's like so weird to me. And how he wants to go about liking him is sharing <laughs> his racist ideas. And then man, like meet the woman that I am sleeping with. That's how you open. You give him the racist ideas, then you show him the woman you're sleeping with. Show him your, your infidelity. Wife. Yeah. And then if he isn't sold by then. <laughs> Polo. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, so they go to George B. Wilson's garage. Uh, and that's where Tom talks. Well, one line, a bunch of things about Wilson are really fascinating to me. Um one, he's obviously a struggling mechanic. The only car visible was a dust-covered wreck of a Ford, which crouched in a dim corner. So, Ooh. like, the, the car he's working on has been there so long that it's dust-covered. And he buys and sells cars. Buys and he's sells cars. He's got one car. <laughs> yeah. Buy, yeah, car bar- bought and he sold. He bought a car, and he cannot sell it. Um, but something interesting, uh, well, he was a blonde, spirit- spiritless man, anemic, and faintly handsome. That's weird that he threw, like... This guy that you're supposed to pity and hate, it's like, also, he's a little bit handsome. He's a little bit handsome, which is the first time, This is, we were just talking about this, this is like the first time uh, that Nick has described anybody as having any sexual attraction at all, really, right? He's fan, I mean, like... Yeah. Even Daisy's never, he didn't say beautiful. Tom, a little bit, he was like, that man is a, has a cruel body, he's very muscular, you could tell he was a football player. This guy's popping out of his boots. But this is like the first positive assessment of a man's looks that he's given. Yeah, of anyone's looks, really. <laughs> Anemic and faintly handsome. Yes. You um, should be so lucky. When he And then I like this line. When he saw us, a damp gleam of hope sprang into his light blue eyes. I, got, I have damp gleam of hope underlined. Another amazing Fitzgerald phrase, but also so sad. Yes, very sad. Because one is, Wilson. from just that this man is like happy to see uh, the man who's sleeping with his wife is very sad i know uh but two as he represents an honest businessman excited to see a rich man in hopes that one day he'll be a rich man but you think about it wilson is the only honest businessman in this whole book (laughs) everyone else either is family money or criminal money yeah, you're right. And they're the only ones that are happy. People that were made rich by their parents or are even like the dog seller later is not seen as an honest man, but he gets $10. He yeah. makes a deal. That's a good – that's like – yeah, that's a ton of money for a dog. Even I looked it up. $10 in uh, 1920 is $127 today. $127. I guess that's like a dog. That's price. a reasonable like dog, a, but a it's still a very dog. good sale to make on the street. On the, yeah, for, for yeah, I get to sell dogs on the street. Yeah. Um. So the only people that are successful are criminals and people that have so much money they don't have to play the game. Yeah. And then someone who's trying to honestly play the game is failing so bad. <laughs> um, he has to suck up to this guy who's... Yeah, suck up to the guy who's cheating, cheating on his wife. Him. Yeah. Uh, but even just like this sad stuff of like, hello, Wilson, old man, house business. Uh, Tom says that. And I can't complain, answered Wilson unconvincingly. What are you going to sell me that car? Next week, I've got my man working on it now. Works pretty slow, don't he? No, he doesn't, said Tom coldly. And if you feel that way about it, maybe I'd better sell it somewhere else after all. So one, he has a moment of desperation. And then Tom, so cruel, goes, if you're going to be desperate, 
I'm not giving you this card. <laughs> yeah, so Tom's got all the power in this relationship, clearly, uh, and he's and he's flaunting it like he always does. And then we meet Myrtle with one of, and it's got one of the most brutal lines of the whole book. <laughs> so we, all right, so this is Nick's description of Myrtle. Then I heard footsteps on the stairs, and in a moment, the thickish figure of a woman blocked out the light from the office door. She was in the middle 30s and faintly stout, but she carried her surplus flesh sensuously as some women can. Her face, above a spotted dress of dark blue crepe de chine, contained no facet or gleam of beauty. (laughs) 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 But then he goes, but there was an immediately perceptible vitality about her as if the nerves of her body were continually smoldering. Smoldering ashes. Yeah, I didn't even make that connection. Smoldering. Before. Neither did I. Tell you. Just yeah. So she's not. Uh, she's not a looker. Is that word? Yeah. She's a very. This is a gross, heavy woman. She's <laughs> <laughs> but sensuous. but also importantly, Nick is not. So this person that Tom, who can have any woman he wants, is attracted to this woman. Yeah. But Nick is uh, the best he can say about her is like, oh, she seems to have a lot of vitality. <laughs> and she she carries her surplus flesh sensuously as some women can. So she's got. It's uh, yeah. It's really like here's a woman, <laughs> not for me, everybody. <laughs> yeah, boy, oh boy. And this is a point that I found interesting. Uh, smiled slowly and walking through her husband as if he were a ghost. There's another reference to connection with death and Wilson. Oh yeah, foreshadowing. It's and real. later down the page, uh, when they say like, "Hey, let's go to New York, Myrtle." Uh, Nick is like, hey, does Wilson mind about all this? And then Tom goes, Wilson, he thinks she goes to see her sister in New York. He's so dumb he doesn't know he's alive. Wow. Okay, so that's twice in one page. This guy is not alive. Affiliated with death yeah. in some capacity. Wow, I didn't make that. Wow. And, yeah, and as a, a, are we operating on a spoiler level like that everyone who's – most people have of read Of course, yeah. yeah. Don't – yeah, come on. So he's the one who – he dies at the end too, right? I know he kills Gatsby. Does he, is he found dead in the bushes? I think that was part um, of it. Yeah, I think, a, yeah, I think he kills himself. Um, but he's like we'll this see. already dead man, but also as a member of the working class, he's a ghost. Yeah, he doesn't exist. He passed right through him. No big deal. The Like the middle class business owner is a ghost that's dead, can't exist anymore. Along that line, how about right here? Uh, Wilson went towards the little office, mingling immediately. So his his wife orders him to get some chairs so they yeah. can so they can be talk so she can talk to Tom privately. And uh, went toward the little office, mingling immediately with the cement color of the walls. A white ashen dust veiled his dark suit and his pale hair as it veiled everything in the vicinity, except his wife. So he's blending in. He's one of these ash men we were just reading about. He's blending in with the background. He's nobody. He's a ghost. He's so unimportant. But the only like honest man in this whole book oh. that didn't ha- doesn't have the benefits of enormous wealth. God. All right, um, and then so Tom and Myrtle make a plan to meet down. Uh, this is a weird line that I don't know why he included it. Uh, we waited for it down the road and out of sight. It was a few days before the Fourth of July. And a gray, scrawny <laughs> Italian child was setting torpedoes in a row along the railroad track. <laughs> I didn't really—I didn't register the, the child's race the first time I read this. Scrawny Italian child was setting torpedoes in a row. So it's like they're fireworks, I assume, right? I think it's also to be like this is an immigrant neighborhood too, uh-huh. and the immigrants are covered in dust. So like the 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 literally immigrants coming to America to make money is now dead too. Jeez. 
Um, but also, I like this part. Terrible place, isn't it? Said Tom, exchanging a frown with Dr. Eckelberg. So God. he's literally staring in the eyes of God and being like, I don't like being here. Because <laughs> he's literally walking in front of God and taking a man's wife. <laughs> and he's like, let's go to New York where God cannot find kind us. Kind of a bummer, wouldn't you say? <laughs> this yeah. place made of ashes. Yes. And he's that's fair. It is kind of a terrible place. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't sound great. So they don't sit on the same train together. Um Let's right, see. so Tom deferred that much to the sensibility. So like like you were saying, like I guess he plays the game a little bit, but he, he says it, uh, it's the sensibilities of those... Tom deferred that much to the sensibilities of those East Eggers who might be on the train. So he's, he's worried more about people who are from East Egg, maybe, yeah, who might be like friends people that know him in general. Yeah. Um, yeah, they get to New York, and then there's just like a weird rigmarole just to like uh, get... Somewhere to her apartment. And, and Myrtle then, wants a dog. And here it is. We talked about that earlier. Another dog shows up. So maybe it wasn't just a random thing that the dog was just in that first page. Right. Okay, right. So, so yeah. So she buys this dog. Uh, but dogs in general. So I think we got to think, what do dogs represent? Uh, loyalty, best friend, yep. and someone that needs your total care. Yeah, they need constant care. Uh, and so, yeah, like kids in that way, they're, if they're neglected, you're kind of a bad guy for neglecting them, right? Yeah. And all these rich people vaguely like they are, they are like the idea of dogs, but then they have, they neglect them and, or lose them because they have no actual need for loyalty, a best friend, cause they've got all the money. So yep. like, it's all about like how dogs, these great thing in life aren't for the rich. Because the rich don't need them, and therefore will neglect and lose them. I'm thinking of Daisy's baby too. You know the baby. Yeah. It's, it's like you have the baby because you have a baby, right? But then it's being you see it, you see the baby one time. It's cared for by a nanny. nanny. She thinks none of it when she's having her affairs. Neither does Tom think of it when he's having his affairs. Yeah, it's the rich take these things that are cute and need them, and then they let everyone else take take care of it right and if they you know what and if you spend some time with your dog or with your baby you probably feel a little bit more fulfilled and less depressed like yeah all these rich people are yeah um <laughs> but here's also another uh interesting point we backed up to a gray old man who bore an absurd resemblance to john d rockefeller <laughs> okay so yeah you brought this up as like uh you've got a more you've got a more like you got like a more of like a hot take on this but i was just i was just um confused i was like why why do we need to know how this why this dog seller looks like john d rockefeller the richest man in the richest man of this time yeah so this dog seller looks like john d rockefeller and the literary interpretation could be that john d rockefeller and all industrialists were basically street scammers who had to hustle because as he goes along the guy knows nothing about the dog not only does he not know the breed he doesn't even know what sex it is (laughs) So he's just so he says John D. Rockefeller basically took oil, didn't really know what it was or what quality it was or how valuable or it will be, it become. Yeah, and but he that was the only way to make money in America is basically be ignorant and confident and lucky. Yeah, yeah. right. Because like right in this age, yeah, like fuel, you know, everyone's getting cars all of a sudden. So yeah, Rockefeller Rockefeller like just became one of the richest guys ever. Yeah. Another thing, I, I don't know what John D. Rockefeller looks like. Is he an ugly guy? Is this just a joke? He's a little plain. I don't I don't think it's that. I okay. mean, he's not especially ugly. Here, I got one for you. Yeah, it's, it's just like, like a normal to guy. Show up. Yeah, he's just an eighteen. He's got a. He looks mustache. like any like, like old industrials from the eighteen nineties. Yeah. Okay, his net worth, which is crazy, they adjusted it for two thousand sixteen dollars, three hundred and ninety-two billion dollars. 
That's crazy. That's okay. more than anybody has. Now. So yeah, right. it's like saying like, "Hey, John D. Rockefeller is uh, basically a, a street scammer." That anyone who makes a lot of money in America is a criminal, even if it's uh, oil salesman who's technically an honest uh, who made his own wealth, or if it's a dog salesman. This dog guy. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't know. He doesn't know the dog's a, a guy or a girl. Uh, Tom corrects him. He's like, oh, "This is a this is a bitch." Yeah. And then so he gives like, him ten dollars. He goes, "Go and buy ten more dogs with it." Yeah. So the, what kind are they? Asked, asked Mrs. Wilson eagerly as he came to the taxi window. All kinds. What kind do you want, lady? Like literally, he. <laughs> Is like, look, I don't know. I'll just give you something. And it's like, I'd like to get one of those police dogs. I don't suppose you got the kind. The man peered doubtfully into his basket, plunged it in his hand, drew one up, wriggling by the back of the neck. That's no police dog, said Tom. Uh, and not that Tom knows better. He's just also confident. Tom's the kind of guy who, yeah, thinks he knows about everything. No, it's not exactly a police dog, said the man with disappointment in his voice. It's more of an Airedale. He passed his hand over the brown moss rug of the bag. Look at the coat. Some coat. That's a dog that'll never bother you with catching a cold. So he turns into a used car salesman. <laughs> yeah. He's like, look at this dog. I get you in this dog. That dog will never get a cold. <laughs> Tell you what. Don't you hate when your dog gets a cold? I sure do. I, yeah, I've never heard of it like dog getting a cold. And he, Or even if my dog got a cold, it would not be much of a bother. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but you know what? You know what upset me about this? Myrtle's buying a dog. She can't take care of it. She doesn't live in New York City. She's getting a dog yeah. for this apartment. What is she going to tell her husband about this new dog? <laughs> well, it seems like... No, she said she wanted the dog for the apartment. Yeah. This, this apartment that they just go to to have their affair, what, what once or twice a week? You know, yeah. how often do, can you have an affair? I don't know. Think about these dogs. Right, so th- again, again, yeah, right, the dog got lost in the first chapter. No one seemed to mind. This and dog... Just the thing that the person selling it doesn't know too much about it. The person buying it just is vaguely enthusiastic for a moment about it. Um, yeah. Is it a boy or a girl? She asked delicately. That dog, that dog's a boy. It's a bitch, said Tom decisively. Here's your money. Go and buy 10 more dogs with it. Uh, so basically, I looked it up. The $10 is about $127 now. So that's like a pretty penny to spend on the street. Oh, yeah. For a street guy who walks out and goes, hey, you want a dog? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a pretty penny. I got dogs. You want a dog? I got dogs. But another again, like another dishonest salesman who does better than George Wilson. Yep. Poor George. Uh, let's see. Here. So, yeah, Nick is, tries to leave and he goes, no, come upstairs. Uh, and then Myrtle says a very strange line. She says, come on, George. I'll telephone my sister, Catherine. She's said to be very beautiful by people who ought to know. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, if someone's either beautiful or they're not. She's said to be very... People say that she's beautiful, and these people, they know beauty. Yeah. Is he talking about artists, or what is... I can't... That line, it's not even that point of a line, but it's still just very confusing to me. I think it's kind of cute, I guess. It's kind of a cute way oh, to say... Oh, is she, like, kind of being flirty, I guess? I think she's, like, right. I mean, like, the thing that... Well, the point is that Catherine is going to be, like, Nick's distraction while yeah. Tom and... And, uh, yeah, here you uh, you make out with my sister while I go <laughs> spend time. My sister. People think she's beautiful. That's like, that's like it's 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 just an extra distance from beautiful that we don't really need, right? Yeah. She's beautiful. People think she's beautiful. Yeah, it's a weird line. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So then they go to her apartment, and then she says, "I'm going to have the McKees up." She announces, "We roast in the elevator," and of course, I got to call my sister too. Descriptions of um. The apartment. It's a small apartment, but it's like decorated very fancy, almost too fancy. It makes it too small. Um, 
Let's see here. Because Myrtle is trying to get it. Myrtle wants to be like high society like Tom. So she likes to buy these things. She likes to buy furniture for the apartment and be a city girl for the for the little while. It's like that's that's what she said. That's what Tom is to her, it seems like, right? Yeah. And here's more of the dog. So Miss w- Mrs. Wilson was first concerned with the dog. A reluctant elevator boy went for a box full of straw and some milk, to which he added his on his own initiative a tin of large, hard dog biscuits one of which decomposed apathetically in a saucer of milk all afternoon. So right away she buys the dog the wrong thing, <laughs> but also like doesn't even care that he's not eating it, Like doesn't notice that it's not being eaten. It just sits in milk, which is also not being drank. Yeah. And also, who gives her dog milk? Is she? Are you thinking of cats, Myrtle? This is, this is, this is a dog. Yeah. D- but the, yeah, the image of a thing soaking in milk is always disgusting to me, and this is especially disgusting because the dog isn't getting what he wants. Okay, and then uh, this is the famous uh, sentence, I've been drunk just twice in my life, and the second time was that afternoon. So everything that happened has a dim, hazy cast over it. Although until after 8 o'clock, the apartment was full of cheerful sun. But what's weird about that statement is that he drinks almost in every scene of this movie. <laughs> He's been drunk just twice, but literally that last, the first scene, he, he talks like, oh, I'm on my second glass of wine. Yeah. Like, he's always drinking a good amount. Yeah. I guess, like, yeah, they think one of those guys, he's like, oh, I'm not drunk. I'm buzzed. You know those guys? He's <laughs> yeah. like, you're, no, you're drunk. You're acting way different. But such as a mild-mannered guy, he drinks quite a bit. And yeah. to only say he's drunk this time is kind of weird. Yeah. But I guess, like, I think he got real drunk, it seems like. I mean, they go through two bottles of whiskey with, like, seven, six people. Uh, yeah, six people. Yeah. Um, so a bunch of people called up. Uh, so he started drinking whiskey, and when I came back, they disappeared, so I sat down discreetly in the living room and read a chapter of Simon called Peter. Either it was terrible stuff or the whiskey distorted thing because it didn't make any sense to me. So we looked it up. Yeah. Simon called Peter was a best-selling novel that came out the year that Gatsby was being written. So basically, F. Scott Fitzgerald was just like, this book is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's the same year. That's crazy. So it's like a diss track. Yeah, it's just like, hey, the stuff you like right now, that's that's bad yeah, writing. You guys should all hate that book. <laughs> But I I looked at the book. The book itself is very weird. I saw right. It's about like a priest, a who priest who has an affair with a woman, but then finds God in a in a mass. He goes back to mass one more time, and he sees the glory of God and gives up the woman that he was in love with. Yeah, it's a very strange book. So, but like, so this kind of like a maybe. I, I thought maybe like uh, you could go like okay, so it's like a sexually adventurous book and. Nick doesn't like it. I didn't make any sense to me. So it's like this is like very, uh, it's like this passionate sexual sort of like uh, yeah, man lo- leaving God for a woman. Yeah, like, like why would you leave your passions for just some woman? You you push your passions down and then you move to New York. That's what yeah. you do. Yes, but uh, also we looked we looked it up. I mean, like Simon called Peter. the The biggest thing about Simon called Peter is it's mentioned in this book. So maybe um, yeah, Fitzgerald was right. Yeah. Also, it could also just be a straight up diss that <laughs> it's just bad. <laughs> and imagine how petty he is that in his classic novel he had to be like, "Oh, by the way, this book is bad." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a part in the Mozart Symphony where like he stops everything and he goes, "Hey, uh, the symphony by Beethoven, load of crap, <laughs> trash, trash." All right. Um, and then here's a description of Catherine. And there'll be one adjective notoriously missing. Uh, but the sister, Catherine, was a slender, worldly girl of about 30 with a solid, sticky bob of red hair and a complexion powdered milky white. 
Her eyebrows have been plucked and then drawn on again at a more rakish angle, but the efforts of nature toward the restoration of the old alignment gave a blurred air to her face. When she moved about... Somewhere there. there. That's very... I mean, like... That's very funny. Yeah. He's like, look at this woman trying to have nice eyebrows. (laughs) So her eyebrows have been plucked, and then she drew on new ones. But then... They, the effort of nature. It's so it's such a beautifully written caddy comment about a girl's yeah. eyebrows. Yeah. Nature toward the restoration of the old alignment gave a blurred, blurred air to her air. face. So she looks like a blurry woman. <laughs> <laughs> when she moved about, there was an incessant clicking as innumerable pottery bracelets jingled up and down her, upon her arms. She came in with such a proprietary haste and looked around so possessively at the furniture that I wondered if she lived here. But when I asked her, she laughed immoderately, repeated my question aloud, and told me she lived with a girlfriend at the hotel. So basically, he goes, this woman walks in. I think she's gross and sloppy looking. <laughs> I ask her if she lives here, and she laughs in my face. <laughs> so the girl that he's supposed to be enchanted with immediately f- fails to in- in- invoke any excitement out of yeah. it's Yeah. It's a very awkward and bad from the start. Also, uh, she's pro- she seems like she does live in this like in their little love love nest, mm. it seems like. Which I kind of like because it's like, yeah, if you're a poor lady and your sister lives in New York and then you're, you're, you you know, Tom gets you an apartment for just, the, you know, twice a week when you want to meet up. Mm. Maybe have your sister like li- live, live in there. In yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. And then here's the important part. Mr. McKee was a pale feminine man from the flat below. He had just shaved where there was a white spot of ladder, lather on his cheekbone. And he was most respectful in his greeting to everyone in the room. He informed me that he was in the artistic game, and I gathered later that he was a photographer and had made the dim enlargement of Mrs. Wilson's mother, which hovered like an ectoplasm on the wall. His wife was shrill, languid, handsome, and horrible. She told me with pride that her husband had photographed her 127 times since they had been married. <laughs> so these these two are very important because it's like a feminine man walking in with a horrible wife <laughs> a handsome and horrible wife right so it seems like nick is probably taken with mr mckee and repelled by mrs mckee but also it horrible. seems like mr mckee is a gay man who just found a unpleasant woman that no one was going to marry so that she'd be excited to be with a man <laughs> yeah there it is i mean there yes this is the and and this is what we're going to be getting into is this cause this is the chapter where the homosexuality kind of like it. It really they shove it in your face. I I I feels dumb that it's I never there. like really noticed it before. Yeah. Uh but it's you they rub your nose at it. If you read with any depth, yeah, if you're reading with any depth questioning things sentence by sentence, then you're going to yeah, you're going to come across homosexuality in this chapter. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. 2008 Terrence Hartnett, there's no doubt about it. All right. So Mrs. Wilson changes again. So this is her third dress. <laughs> third dress of the day. Um, and then she just is kind of annoying and going around. Uh, she says this line, which I think is very, uh, important about the, the theme of like the rich and their perspective of the poor. My dear, she told her sister in a high mention about most of these fellows will cheat you every time. All they think of is money. Um, and that's like such a funny criticism of this, uh, now pretending to be rich woman who actually is the, the wife of a very poor man. Is going like poor people. All they think about is money. Saying like, "Oh, these are greedy poor people." <laughs> when it's really struggling to survive, it's like, "Oh, all these poor people will think about is being alive." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's trying to scrape by, and she's obsessed with money. She's trying to buy all this stuff while she's in New York. She's, yeah, she loves Tom for his money. Clearly, she's bought like ten things in this like 
one hour passage of her getting meeting up with Tom and going to New York. Yeah, I didn't. Well, this, she bought a dog. She <laughs> bought a doll. Li- she bought a living thing as well as perfume and all this crap. It's like most of the things that she's described as doing are just her buying things or talking about things that she bought. Yeah. Um, here's a line that I like, but also recognized. I like your dress, remarked Mrs. McKee. I think it's adorable. Mrs. Wilson rejected the compliment by raising her eyebrow in disdain. It's just a crazy old thing, she said. I just slip it on sometimes when I don't care what I look like. Which is like a a funny thing to say, but it's also part of It's a Wonderful Life. You ever seen that movie? What, oh, this old thing? No. Yeah, I only wear it when I don't care what I look like. Oh, gotcha. It's literally said in that movie, too. Huh. So huh. this must be like an... Like a, either they stole that they were like oh I really like that line in The Great Gatsby or yeah. that's a thing that like charming women said where they like any compliment they're like oh please I just I look terrible <laughs> yeah it doesn't seem very charming to me it doesn't seem like a charming thing to say it seems like a rejected like, you know like oh you like it well guess what I don't even care about it you have bad taste yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then they're like hey we should take a f- uh, Mrs. Mickey goes but it looks wonderful on you if you know what I mean pursued mrs mckee what what does she mean (laughs) (laughs) if you know what i mean i never got caught up on that before it looks good on her (laughs) yeah what is that there's some subtext is it like very sexy or something looks wonderful on you if you know what i mean i guess it's like talking about her body as opposed to the dress it looks wonderful on you i guess is the yeah i don't know if chester could only mrs mckee a lesbian more on that later oh who cares i mean i guess like who cares is the answer yeah but there's not as much evidence. Yeah, not, is it, I think the protagonist is Mrs. McKee. I think it's a weird novel. Yeah, the whole novel is yeah. based around Mrs. McKee, <laughs> this horrible focus. woman. <laughs> uh, if Chester could only get you in that pose, I think he could make something of it. We all looked in, in silence at Mrs. Wilson, who removed a strand of hair from her over eyes and looked back to us with a brilliant smile. So, like, even she's great at posing. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Mrs. McKee regarded her intently with it, her his head on one side. And then moved his hand back and forth slowly in front of his face. I should change the light, he said after a moment. I'd like to bring out the modeling of the features, and I'd try to get a hold of all the back hair. I wouldn't think of changing the light. So the back hair, the back hair is not hair on her back. It's the back of her hair. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just like her ponytail coming out the side. But just so you guys know, there's a sentence that says, and I try to get a hold of all the back hair. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought about that. I didn't catch that. (laughs) Oh, God, she's too hairy. (laughs) Get a hold of it. I wouldn't think of changing the light cried mrs mckee i think it's her husband said shh and we all looked at that subject again so even he is also not enamored with this pose only <laughs> mrs mckee is like look at how beautiful she looks right now and both nick and uh mr mckee are like all right we need to fix a few things about her <laughs> <laughs> girl and whereupon tom buchanan yawned audibly and got to his feet yeah. so tom's bored with this yeah clearly so he doesn't like that she's the center of attention right now. Yeah, Tom breaks up the whole thing, right? He makes her go get ice yeah, and you McKees yeah. have something to drink. So he yeah. doesn't like that everyone's like, look it, she's beautiful. So he probably likes that he's, like, saving a poor woman. Like, that's probably got to be 90% of the charm. Yeah, because he's not, yeah, maybe he's not, yeah, not into her. But yeah, but he wants to be her woman. god. I think that's why he likes, because she has no money and, like, is not used to money. So he could be her god in, yeah. in a way that he can't be for Daisy. He's got everything. Yeah, he controls everything about, about her life. Yeah, and uh, he likes being admired. It's the it's Nick Carraway thing. He likes being admired. and not Absolutely. Loved. He just collects people that look up to him. Even Wilson, he lies to him about, I'm going to sell you his car. So then Wilson comes by. He's like, oh, my God, he, he's here. Exactly. Yeah, he wants, God, he wants Wilson to fall in his hand, too. 
Um, I like Myrtle here. Uh, I told the boy about the ice. Uh, these people, you have to keep after them all the time. So this is just her posing as a high-class woman who's mad about the servants, you know? Like, yeah. I told him about the ice. He wouldn't bring it. Da-da-da-da. Yeah, she's definitely putting on a big show for everyone now that she's with her affair. Mis- mi- what's the male version of a mistress? A mister. No, I'm I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's A bow? No, I think a bow isn't more official. I don't know if, like, that's per- that's like probably you know, the patriarchy that, that we don't, like, that it's like, oh, that's like a, I think they call it a cool dude. <laughs> you know, like they don't have a word for like a guy who is your side, uh, your side dude. Yeah, what's the male version of the side piece? <laughs> side piece is non-gender, uh, so we should use side piece. Okay. Uh, then she flounced over to the dog, kissed it with ecstasy, and swept into the kitchen. So she goes, gives this thing a little bit of affection, and then leaves. Um, then Mr. McKee starts talking about himself. Uh, He's trying to get business. Seems like yeah, I've done some yeah. nice things on Long Island. Um, uh, I'd love to, I, I was down there at a party. Wait, I'd love to get, he'd love to get some work down there, right? Um, yeah. Um, let's see. You've done some nice things on, out on Long Island, asserted Mr. McKee. Tom looked at him blankly. Two of them we have framed downstairs. To what? Demanded Tom. Two studies. <laughs> Tom is not following anything <laughs> whatsoever. So he's hammered and this photographer is trying to talk to him and he's like, I just like What football. do you think he framed? <laughs> yeah. What do you think he framed? To what? What do you have in that frame? Peanut butter? What do you got? What's in there? Two studies. One of them I'm called Montauk Point, the Golds, and the other I call Montauk Point, the Sea. So not great titles. <laughs> nope. Nope. Pretty vague. The sister Catherine sat down beside me on the couch. Do you live down on Long Island, too? She inquired. I live at West Egg. Really? I was down there at a party about a month ago at a man named Gatsby's. Do you know him? I live next door to him. Well, they say he's a nephew or a cousin of Kaiser Wilhelm's. That's where all his money comes from. Really? She nodded. Really? Uh, she nodded. I'm scared of him. I'd hate to have him get anything on me. So this absorbing information about my neighbor was interrupted by Mrs. McKee's pointed suddenly, pointing suddenly at Catherine. Um, so yeah, that's just a little bit of like, hey, Gatsby's really fascinating to a lot of people. More that rumor, yeah, yeah. he's rumored so many. He's a presence even when he's not around. Exactly. Um, and he's always haunting Tom. Both times, Tom has also been around when cut subject of Gatsby's come up. Yeah. So Tom doesn't even know who this guy is, and twice it's been mentioned in his presence. Yeah, and Tom's not going to like Gatsby. Uh, and then Mr. McKee pointing suddenly at Catherine. Chester, I think you, should, you could do something with her, she broke out. But Mr. McKee only nodded in a bored way and turned his attention to Tom. So his wife is like, hey, look at this pretty lady. And once again, <laughs> Mr. McKee's like, yeah, whatever. Classic <laughs> girls like uh, telling each other they're pretty. Oh, my God. Look at her, though. Look at her, though. So but pretty. not only does he not care about Catherine, he goes back to talking to Tom, someone who's having a bad conversation. With him. <laughs> he says, I'd like to do more work on Long Island if I could get the entry. All I ask is that they should give me a start. Um, and, th- and then Tom says something really mean. Yeah, I love this. Ask Myrtle, said Tom, breaking into a short stat of laughter as Mrs. Wilson entered with a tray. She'll give you a letter of introduction, won't you, Myrtle? Do what? She asked, startled. You'll give McKee a letter of introduction to your husband so you can do some studies of him. His <laughs> lips moved silently for a moment as he invented George B. Wilson and at the gasoline pump or something like that. <laughs> so he says a really mean thing about <laughs> about this guy who he's also stealing the wife of. Yeah, and he's like being friendly to him into his face, and he's like, well, wouldn't it be hilarious? Like, like get a get a pa- picture of this guy. We'll take a pa- picture of your husband and be like, oh, this sad American figure. Yeah. Yeah. Also, that probably would be a good that's like a, that's that's like a, a good, good photograph. 
Yeah, I'm like a Joke's on you, working Tom. man at a yeah. gas pump. I saw that I saw that at my cousin's study the other day. A nice picture like that. And this is a really interesting part. So Catherine leaned close to me and whispered in my ear, neither of them can stand the person they're married to. Can't they? Can't stand them. She looked at Myrtle and then at Tom. What I say is, why go on living with them if they can't stand them? If I was them, I'd get a divorce and get married to each other right away. Nick says, doesn't she like Wilson either? The answer to this was to this was unexpected. It came from Myrtle, who had overheard the question and it, w- and it was violent and obscene. You see, cried C- Catherine triumphantly. She lowered her voice again. It's really his wife that's keeping them apart. She's a Catholic, and they don't believe in divorce. And then this ends. Daisy was not a Catholic, and I was a little shocked at the elaborateness of the lie. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I, I underline that too. He, he, of course, like she's a little shocked at the uh, he's a little shocked at the elaborateness of the lie. So the depths at which Tom is lying is that not only is he having an affair, he's also telling the woman he's having an affair with that they're not going to get married because his wife is a Catholic. Yeah, like oh, I would marry you. He has no intention of marrying Myrtle. He's got no desire to marry Myrtle. He even gets he gets mad in a little bit here when uh, his wife's name is even mentioned. When Myrtle says Daisy, he hates it. So he doesn't like he doesn't he doesn't love Myrtle and Myrtle loves him. So he tells her this thing about her, Daisy being Catholic, so they can't get divorced. Yeah, just because he knows he doesn't want to. The only fun in this to Tom is that he's not supposed to do this. He's not gonna. He's not supposed to go to Queens, find a poor lady, buy her a bunch of nice things, get her, make her have a big head about her nice apartment, and but like if he marries her, she's not a classy girl that he can nope. bring to East Egg or whatever. Yeah. Europe. But he's even willing to introduce everyone to her as like my mistress. But like, it's just that he won't make that final step. Like, there's never well something to Daisy and to his selfishness that's like, no, I have to lie to keep this up going. Yeah. But I'm also not gonna break it off with my wife. Um, Catherine says when they do get married, continued Catherine, they're going west to live for a while until it blows over. And the Nick says something very catty. And he says, it'd be more discreet to go to Europe. <laughs> I think that's a joke. That's him being like, well, why don't they just go to Europe? Like, <laughs> if they're going to, they're trying to hide the fact that they're yeah. going to have a major divorce in 1920. Like, <laughs> go all the way. Yeah, go all the way to freaking Europe. And then she says, oh, do you like Europe? She exclaims surprisingly. I just got back from Monte Carlo. Really, he says. And he says, really, with an exclamation point. It's not a question mark. So he's so bored with this conversation. Really? Yeah, that's just goes, really? Really? Like he is like he's so polite and this like no enthusiasm in his voice whatsoever that Catherine is like trying it's like really trying to like gossip with <laughs> and says this excitedly and he's giving her nothing. And this is the lady who's like basically she's being thrown at Nick as like a as like you couldn't you could another be lady woman. that's being yeah. thrown at Nick. And yeah. He, uh, he's like <clears throat> being so. But for standoff. some reason, he's not super interested. Yes, he goes. So she goes. Just last year, I went over there with another girl. And he says, "Stay long." So like that's not even a full sentence he's giving. <laughs> and she says, "No, we just went to Monte Carlo and back. We went by way of Marseille. We had over twelve hundred dollars when we started, but we got shipped out of it all in two days in the private rooms." I looked it up. That's the equivalent of fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> two days. They lost fifteen thousand dollars in two days. Two days. But also, where is Catherine getting this money? That's a good question. Well, let's see. Yeah, that's interesting. Because they never say she's married. She's, they say she's 30, and and they don't mention her being married, which is also fishy. Yeah. Um, But, like, she doesn't have a husband, and she lives in New York. So somewhere 
she's a like it's never explained because she's yeah, she and it might even somebody. she just has to be like a a tertiary character they throw in for this yeah. weird moment. Yeah, but that's a ton of money to have. She has fifteen thousand dollars to spend in two days. Like something's going. There's, on. there's also there's no more money to like to. They said they had tra- traveled back very uncomfortably, right? In the like we had enough time yeah. getting back because they didn't have any money. So like it seems like they're. Yeah, like they're they're like new money or they're poor. You maybe know, like yeah, maybe Tom gave him the money. Sure, yeah, he's a bunch of it's money. Like, can you give my sister some money to go to Europe? Yeah. Um. Let's see here. Then they say something racist. Uh, well, anti-Semitic. They go, "I almost <laughs> made a mistake too." She declared vigorously, "I almost married a little uh, slur for Jewish man who had been after me for years. <laughs> I knew he was below me." Everybody kept saying to me, Lucille, that man's way below you, but if I hadn't met Trester, he'd got a, he'd have got me for sure. Mr. McKee. So Mr. McKee saved her from an, a Jewish man uh, who was genuinely attracted to her. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but listen, said Myrtle Wilson, nodding her head up and down. At least you didn't marry him. I uh, know I didn't. Well, I married him, said Myrtle ambiguously, and that's the difference between your case and mine. And then her sister asked, why did you, Myrtle? Uh, nobody forced you to, and then... She goes, I married him because I thought he was a gentleman, she said finally. I thought he knew something about breeding, but he wasn't fit to lick my shoe. Uh, which is interesting that he was able to trick this woman. Yeah, into thinking she's like a well-bred So clearly, because he, he borrowed a nice suit. Oh, yeah, she hated that. So he only didn't even have a suit, but he was able to convince this woman that he was a gentleman. So he must actually be a genuinely good guy. Why? What do you mean? Because, oh, because she thought he was a gentleman, and okay. he has no money. Yeah. And to convince a woman you're a gentleman, you have to act a certain way. Yeah. And he is dirt poor, like literally dirt poor. He's covered in dirt <laughs> He's covered all the in time. Dirt. Guy loves dirt. But he somehow figured out this like really terrible woman who is obsessed with status that he was also a person of status. Yeah, and so yeah, so the, she gets upset because uh, yeah, he borrowed somebody's best suit to get married in, and never even told me about it. And then a man came after it one day when he was out. She looked around to see who was listening. Oh, is that your suit, I said? This is the first I've ever heard about it. But I gave it to him, and then I lay down and cried to beat the band all afternoon. That's a Myrtle. Myrtle is obviously someone who cries about her husband not having a nice suit. Yeah. She's a really selfish woman, but I also really like this line. Uh, when they go, oh, you were crazy about him. She goes, crazy about him, cried Myrtle incredulously. Who said I was crazy about him? I never was any more crazy about him than I was about that man there. Oh, yeah. She pointed suddenly at me, uh, meaning Nick, and everyone looked at me accusingly. I tried to show by my expression that I had played no part in her past. Yeah. <laughs> like, everyone's so drunk that she's like, I, I, like I'm like i not crazy about him as I am about Nick over there. <laughs> and Nick, and everyone's like, Nick, what did you do? <laughs> and Nick is like, please, I don't know this woman. It's like, that's the one place in Gatsby where this would be, a, this would be a great, a great move, a great, you know, shot in a movie. His, his yeah. face like, what? Is it really like, what's going on? No, me? Stop. No. All right. And they, um, the bo- so they go open up a second bottle of whiskey. So people really are hammered. It's getting going. They got some sandwiches. And when you're in New York, you got to get some sandwiches. You got to hit a deli. Yeah. They're celebrated. The celebrated sandwiches, which were a complete supper in themselves. I mean, that's New York, baby. New York, baby. Uh, I wanted to get out and walk. So this is all this whole part is like really pretty. This is just really good writing. I wanted to get out and walk eastward toward the park through the soft twilight. But each time I tried to go, I became entangled in some wild, strident argument, which pulled me back, as if with ropes, into my chair. Yet high over the city, our line of yellow windows must have contributed their share of human secrecy to the casual watcher in the darkening streets. And I was him, too. 
looking up and wondering. I was within and without, simultaneously enchanted and repelled by the inexhaustible variety of life. Woo! The man could write a line. Woo! Look out. Look out. Excuse me. I was in my car listening to that, and I paused it and rewound it 10 seconds, and then and then listened to it, rewound it, paused it again. So yeah. I mem- until I memorized that line. Fantastic. Yeah. That's a, br- a beautiful line about life and being drunk in the city. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you been drunk and had that moment? You look around and go, "Do I? Who? Who, who am I? Do I even know these people? I don't. I don't even feel like I'm here. I'm just watching my life from afar." Yeah, you have an out of body experience when you're that hammered. But it's yeah. also that drunk thing of like, you get hammered and you're in a tall building. And go, we own this. City. <laughs> <laughs> that's that too. I think it's part of that too. <laughs> it's like I'm everywhere and I could see everyone wanting to look up at us, but also I want to look at them. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm you too, man. I'm also <laughs> you. Yeah. Um, and then they t- uh, Myrtle tells the story of meeting Tom, which is a, a really weird story. Yeah, I know Tom. Okay, so like, what I noticed about this story is uh, Tom doesn't even Tom doesn't say a word. There's no word. Tom doesn't speak any words in this story. Tom is uninterested in this story. Yeah. Um, it was on the two little seats facing each other that are always the last ones left on the train. So a real mute, meet cute. Yeah, <laughs> they have to sit next to each other. I was going up to New York to see my sister and spend the night. He had on a dress suit and patent leather shoes, and I couldn't keep my eyes off him. But every time he looked at me, I had to pretend to be looking at the advertisement over his head. I mean, who hasn't been on the train and made too much eye contact? At hey, seat? that's true. We're, we're, I'm there too. When we came to the situation, he was next to me, and his white shirt front pressed against my arm and so i told him i'd have to call a policeman but he knew i lied cute cute right cute right tom presses his body against her yeah just presses his body against a woman on the train and she says i'm gonna call the police and he Um, goes you're lying yeah but also like flirting was so (laughs) like not only did no man not mean no in 1920 i'm gonna call the police (laughs) doesn't mean stop That's also a flirty thing to say. And Tom went on to write the game, a novel we are a book that we <laughs> all know and love. We all know and love. Was he the original pickup artist? You kidding me? Yeah, press pre- press your shirt against the lady. She'll love it. I was so excited that when I got into a taxi with him, I didn't hardly know I was getting into a subway train. Hmm. She felt like she was getting into a subway train. Oh, I wasn't getting into a subway train. Yeah, right. So she's supposed to get in the train, and she getting it's like you know he he took her away. All I kept thinking about over and over was, you can't live forever. You can't live forever. Uh, Fateful words, as she will die later. (laughs) Because of this relationship. (laughs) This is the man whose wife will kill you. Yes. (laughs) Uh, She turned to Mrs. McKee, and the room rang full of her artificial laughter. Artificial. I didn't notice that the first time. Artificial laughter. Yeah, that's a weird moment. So who laughs? Is that Mrs. McKee or Wilson? I think Myrtle's artificial. She turned to Mrs. McKee, right? And laughs really hard. Yeah, and the room was rung full of her artificial laughter. I think she just had a really sad moment in front of everyone and has been putting on the show the whole time that she's like, I can't, I have to get back the cheer. Yeah. Um, Yeah, subject to change to things she's going to buy. She's going to give Mrs. McKee the dress, yada, yada. I'm going to get her a massage, a collar for the dog, one of those cute little ashtrays. A black silk bow from Mother's Grey that lasts all summer. I have to write down a list of things so I won't forget all the things I got to do. I wrote, I wrote, got to do, more like got to buy. Right? Yeah, things absolutely. Just not yeah. things you're going to do. All she thinks about is buying stuff. Where yeah. does her, I mean, I, Wilson is largely a pathetic character, but yeah. like, 
you got to know something's up. If you have a dusty car and your <laughs> wife is getting a massage and, and she has, has a dog and a very nice bow for her mother's grave. Yeah, she brings all this stuff back. And he's like, oh, Catherine gave this stuff to me. Yeah. And where he's like, where's Catherine getting all this money? Yeah. Nine, it's nine o'clock. Yada, yada, yada. All right. So this is very important. The Ooh. time. It was nine o'clock almost immediately afterward. I looked at my watch and I found it was ten. All right. So time's going by pretty fast. But now it's ten o'clock. So Mr. McKee was asleep on a chair with his fist clenched in his lap like a photograph of a man of action. Taking out my handkerchief, I wiped from his cheek the remains of the spot of dried lather that had worried me all the afternoon. So two very important things about this. One is that that's a very tender thing for one man to do to another man. Especially especially, Nick. Yeah, a stranger. A stranger, yeah. They're like, look at this man of action. Let me get his shaving cream yeah. off his face. <laughs> Very tender. Got a little schmutz. And it was bothering him all afternoon, so he kept looking at his face. And looking at it. this guy. He noticed it at first, and yeah. But two, his wife did not notice that. Oh, I love this. So his wife looked so little at him that he had shaving cream on his face all afternoon, did not care, or did not see. That is a hot take, Kev. Yeah, and he's so yeah. Nick's been looking at it all all day. Nick has been looking at this man's face all day. His wife has not once looked at his husband's face to say like, "Oh, he's got a little schmutz on his face. I nice. gotta get that off." Okay. Um. The, here's the dog. Finally, after a long time, here's the dog again. Mm. The little dog was sitting on the table, looking with blind eyes through the smoke, and from time to time groaning faintly. So this dog is miserable. Yeah, dog's miserable. What else is new? What? Who would have thought? Another dog punished by being in the same circles of rich people. people first go the dogs yeah people disappeared reappeared made plans to go somewhere and then lost each other searched for each other found each other a few feet away this is all in a small living room in a <laughs> tiny new york apartment these people are wasted this is yeah hammered sometime toward midnight tom mccannon and mrs wilson stood face to face discussing in impassioned voices so now it's midnight whether mrs wilson had any right to mention daisy's name Daisy, 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 shouted Mrs. Wilson. I'll say it whenever I want to. Daisy, day. And then making a short death movement, Tom Buchanan broke her nose with his open hand. Oof. Now, I apologize for chuckling at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. But in all fairness, Kevin thinks this stuff is hilarious. <laughs> Just domestic abuse. <laughs> Not this book. <laughs> no, it's so brutal of a moment that <laughs> this woman is like, I'll say it if I want to. And he literally is like. I'm going to break your nose. Yeah, you can't say it. And he doesn't yeah. war- He doesn't go, stop, or I'll hit you. Yeah. He literally just goes, boom. Yeah. Like, I see it like palm to the nose. Yeah. Like, jujitsu trained master breaks her nose. And what a short, what a short, unflowery sentence. A rare one from Fitzgerald. Making a short death movement, Tom Buchanan broke her nose with his open hand. Period. It's, own, it's his own paragraph. Just. Just real quick, like, how efficiently violent Tom Buchanan is. <clears throat> yeah. I think that's one of the big things is that Daisy can inspire him to acts of very quick, very impulsive violence. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. It's uh, option one. Like it's like uh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. He's not a, even thinking about he's it. He's a brute. Yes. Uh, then there were. This is just also very good hectic writing. Then there were bloody towels upon the bathroom floor and women's voices scolding and high over the confusion, a long broken wail of pain. And then Mr. McKee awoke from his doze and started in a daze toward the door. When he had gone halfway, he turned around and stared at the scene. His wife and Catherine scolding and consoling as they stumbled here and there among the crowded furniture with articles of aid and the despairing figure on the couch, bleeding fluently and trying to spread a copy of Town Tattle over the tapestry scenes of Versailles. Then Mr. McKee turned and continued out 
on out the door. Taking my hat from the chan- chandelier, I followed. One, that's a joke. That his hat was hanging on the chandelier. Oh, that is good. I missed that. That's how hammered even that's uh, Nick is. Is that he, piled, he partied so hard his hat is on the chandelier. <laughs> that's funny. I, I'll get my, get my hat and go. And you reach up for the chandelier. Yeah, reach off the, ce- <laughs> off the ceiling. <laughs> Come to lunch someday, he suggested, as we groaned down in the elevator. Where? Meaning Nick. Anywhere. Uh, Mr. Yeah. McKee. Okay, so before, yeah, so like why, so he, so yeah, Nick Nick leaves and follows Mr. McKee out the door. Nick leaves very quickly with Mr. Yeah. McKee. When he, he took, this very strange timing. Yeah. Um, Nick could, like, he was like not leaving a bunch, because he kept saying he got involved with arguments, but he was waiting for Mr. McKee to also leave. Right, obviously. And also, yeah, there's like, th- he, he didn't leave before because of arguments, and now there's something he could probably be really helping out with yes something a kind of woman's urgent. bleeding on the floor and he's yeah. like i gotta get i gotta get out of here now's my time point. yeah to go um so come to lunch someday he suggested as we groan down the elevator where uh meaning nick uh then mr mckee says anywhere and then nick's uh, uh, and then this famous line keep your hands off the lever snapped the elevator boy <laughs> i beg your pardon said mr mckee with dignity i didn't know i was touching it all right nick i agreed meaning nick it'll i'll be glad to Oh, man. So they've agreed to a lunch date. And then here is the only ellipses in the book. Dot, dot, dot. I was standing beside his bed, and he was sitting up between the sheets, clad in his underwear, with a great portfolio in his hands. Beauty and the Beast, Loneliness, Old Grocery Horse, Broken Bridge. These are all like uh, pictures, yeah. uh, photographs. Then I was lying half asleep in the cold lower level of the Pennsylvania station, Staring at the morning Tribune and waiting for the four o'clock train. Ooh so boy. Nick leaves the party at midnight, isn't at Penn Station until four in the morning. That's the timeline, folks. In between, in between then and now, the only thing we have uh, to describe it is uh, I was standing beside his bed and he was sitting up between the sheets, clad in his underwear, with a great portfolio in his hand. So it's like we're in his bed in his underwear. Yeah. So Nick goes and sleeps with Mr. McKee. Uh, Fitzgerald, we talked about is he, everything that's in there is in there for a reason. Yeah. And this is such a weird scene if it wasn't hugely important. One, it's got a dot, dot, dot. So it really makes itself yeah, stand out. Very unique. Meaning a lot of stuff happened up to this moment. And then, Ooh, maybe one thing I thought is maybe he blacked out, literally got blackout yeah. drunk. Yeah. Um, but I was standing beside his bed and he was sitting up between the sheets, clad in his underwear. So he's, he slept with this guy. But my favorite part is this <laughs> elevator. Operator. Oh, good. I was hoping I was like, we got to go back and, and we got to go frame by frame in the elevator interaction. Okay? All right. So now we have the full context of what's going on in this yeah. elevator. It's a really steamy scene. <laughs> Two closeted gay men in New York in the 1920s, le- drunk, leaving a party together yeah. in an elevator with just a poor working class man. And this, uh, yeah, this poor servant, again, being totally ignored. <laughs> And then he says, keep your hands off the lever. Snap the elevator boy. So that means Mr. McKee is stroking the <laughs> the uh, the elevator shaft, which is... All- the elevator lever. Yeah, they're in the elevator shaft. Yeah. The, 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 the lever that controls the elevator. He's, like, stroking it. Like, <laughs> how a... Gre- like, but also he says, oh, I beg your pardon. I didn't know I was touching it. So either... So that's what um, my girlfriend pointed out to me. She's like, yeah, I have... I missed the song. It's like, yeah, everyone knew this about this book. And I was like, what? why no one told me? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think maybe like, yeah, we had more buttoned up uh, high schools than D. But she's, she, so her theory is that um, he literally thinks he's grabbing Nick's dick right there. 
But also, like, how drunk are you that you're grabbing a cold piece of metal? That yeah, you're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean. That you're like, oh, man, look at this thick mechanical dick right here. <laughs> I mean, I'm taking this as a, like, as a, as Fitzgerald is intentionally veiling what's happening. So it's like, y- he can defend it. Um, he can defend it and say it's not there, but it is. You know, it's like. Uh, Certainly it's a phallic reference to go like, hey, a phallic symbol. It's phallic. You're crazy if you don't think so. Doesn't say it, but it seems like he's uh, he's also being flirty and grabbing it and kind of making eye contact. Yeah. <laughs> so basically these two are just like really flirting hard on each other. And this poor elevator boy is not an <laughs> idiot. <laughs> he's just like, please, sir, flirt all you want. Just don't grab the equipment i need to do my job <laughs> ralph the elevator boy comes home how was your day ralph oh it was a tough one tell you what my these two but that's the important part of like we talked about it early and now it's like my full theory and i want to give credit to two articles uh that i read and i shared with terrence yeah about they're it. great the slate article and they're really not good. subtle titles uh <laughs> well, the first one which is really good is nick Carraway is gay and i'm in love with gatsby by greg o'lear in Salon. And the other one is Nick Carraway's Queer and in Love with Jay Gatsby by Maya Nunali, and that's in Book Riot. But essentially, reassessing that first chapter, Nick leaves the Midwest, uh, and it made me reassess a few things. One, that he loved the war. Oh. I, as a gay man, so he got to get out. The war, he think he loved, because as a closeted gay man in Minnesota, he got to go away from his family be himself, be around a lot of men, yeah, but also like be distracted so he doesn't have to think about himself. Yeah, e- either he has enough having affairs in the army, or he got to be so distracted with the war that it was that his ex- external war was way better than his internal war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and another thing I noticed about that war thing is that we talked about how it's like he has PTSD and it's weird that he loved the war, right? But also it's a weird po- point that like he enjoyed World War One. And the New York party scene destroyed him, and he had to leave forever, a broken man. <laughs> yeah. He was more destroyed by rich people in New York than he was the most senseless waste of life in human history in World War One. Yeah, well, some people died of both, you know. So you gotta be, you know, you gotta be. It's, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's a, it's, a, it's a pretty intense New York party scene. But then we also go back uh, to like the descriptions, and all this is in the article says it way better than the article. Yeah, it's pretty two, cool. Two mumbling buffoons, but hey. Um, like the descriptions of Tom Buchanan are like um, really meaty, really meaty descriptions. Yeah, really hot. Let's see stuff. if I can find it. M- sinewy muscles bursting through cloth, and even as he moves, like you can see a muscle in his back, and his boots don't tie up all the way because his calves are so huge. And yeah, so this is Nick's description of Tom Buchanan. Uh, A man he does not like. (laughs) He had changed since his New Haven years. Now he was a sturdy, straw-haired man of 30 with a rather hard mouth and a supercilious manner. Two shining, arrogant eyes had established dominance over his face and gave him the appearance of always leaning aggressively forward. Not even the effeminate swank of his riding clothes could hide the enormous power of that body. He seemed to fill those glistening boots until he strained the top lacing. And you could see a great pack of muscle shifting when his shoulder moved under his thin coat. It was a body capable of enormous leverage. A cruel body. A cruel body. So that's like a very sensual description. And then look how he describes Jordan, uh, the the woman that he's being set up with. Let's see if if I could find that. 
It's like she's got she's small breasted and has an erect carriage like a little soldier, something like that. Yeah. Um, um pretty uh, intense. I think the But is yeah, essentially he's not yeah, he he doesn't he doesn't talk about the women's bodies or like their sort of power or their kind of like femininity as much as he talks about Tom's masculinity. He talks about Daisy, this beautiful woman that drives <laughs> Men wild as a, having a nice voice. <laughs> nice voice, got a nice voice. I mean, like, and even in this chapter, you get the description of Catherine, description of Myrtle. They're both not very complimentary. Then the description of Mister McKee is like he, uh, you know, he's like a, a he's a feminine. He's man. He's a feminine a, man who as a, uh, who has a little bit of lather on his face. A little bit of lather on his face, and, and then Wilson doesn't isn't looking too bad either. Wilson's handsome. Uh, Catherine and every other woman is like. Just really clinically described. Never, very rarely mentioned as any positive appearance. Sometimes they're called handsome. Yeah. But even that is such a very masculine um, adjective. Right before they're called horrible, they're called handsome. So in my perspective, I agree with these this reading that Nick is at least bisexual, if not yeah. a homosexual man, attracted to Jay Gatsby, uh, but also just ran away from home. And got into bond salesman because he doesn't seem that passionate about bond sales. Oh, he, he says like all my friends are doing it, so I decided to do it. Yeah. So it's like he, he needs an excuse to get away. Yeah. And he's like, all right, I'll do bonds just to be, I'll live alone in the house with a Finnish woman, <laughs> in Long Island. He was gonna move in with another man from his office. Like there's this whole thing where it's like, he was a very rich man that was gonna have a roommate. Like yeah. he didn't need yeah. a roommate. Yeah. Right, and it turns out he didn't need a roommate because he can still make rent even though the guy didn't show up. Yeah. That was never a concern of like, oh, no, the guy dropped out, and now I just have this house to myself. Where it's like, It'll be fine. So our, my, at least my reading <laughs> is now definitely heavily influenced with the fact that, like, oh, Nick is a gay man, a closeted gay man, yeah. navigating a lot of complicated feelings, uh, both trying to hide and both trying to express that part of his life, right, and everything that's written uh, is 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 written in hindsight after the you know after what happened in the Ap- novel. So yeah. He's trying to make sense of all of this madness that we see at the end um, in terms of Gatsby, um, right? So you were saying earlier, like it's like not like he's trying to like uh, he's trying to ra- rationalize, not that he fell in love with the man or whatever, but that uh, I, he's trying to get over his grief. So the whole book essentially is him trying to process why he's so hurt about Gatsby's death. Yes. Where he couldn't explain to any of his friends of like, oh, I had a neighbor who died. He was he was a pretty cool dude. It yeah. really bummed me out that he died. <laughs> it was him just trying to be like, look, I, I love this man. And I went to New York and really found that, yes, I am a gay man. I got to have experiences. And I really fell deeply in love with one important person. Yeah. He died in part of this cruel game. This cruel system tore him up. Now I hate the system, even though he was a big part of it. Yeah, right, Bondsman. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, I'm a broken man who the war was not as bad as watching this man I love die. Right, right. And I mean, yeah, we're gonna be, we gotta be, we gotta be tracking this chapter to chapter. Like we're gonna see this with with the Jordan Baker stuff, like his weird courtship with with Jordan. Um, we're gonna see it. Yeah, but I mean, just in general, the par- people he talks to at the parties and who, where, where he's with, who he's with. But that's also like why the engagement thing, where like gossip magazines published the band uh, that they were gonna get married to his friend, and he left. Yeah, I think that might have been his family was literally like, "Hey, say they're engaged, so he marries her," because they course. were really Mostly like worried about like why yeah. isn't he married yet? Yeah, uh, marry this woman who spends all her time with you. <clears throat> and he's like, "I gotta get out of here because I don't." 
I know who I am, and I need to act out this part of my life, or I'll regret it forever. So he has yeah. to run away to New York, where he could be a little bit more experimental than uh, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, right. Because he could be, he could be staying, he could be involved with his this business that his family owns. Like, I mean, like I'm sure they could use him. Right? Yeah, it wasn't like he ran out of mo- like he's an educated man. Yeah. and had a successful family business, but he's like, oh, I better go to New York to work on bonds. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, bonds are good. <laughs> Better not marry this woman that I spend a lot of time with because I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that this law article did touch on, though, is like this kind of this, this stereotypical gay thing. She, the, she was like, I don't know. He kind of knew a lot about the chiffon dress. And he knew he knows all about like the fabrics on dresses, which is like for like an article that's kind of like forward. Not, I guess forward thinking sort of like he's gay and, uh, and it's not it's like a reading of queer theory. <laughs> it's like stereotypical, like, but he does kind of know a lot about eyebrows. If yeah, you know what I mean. he's a little bit of a dandy <laughs> yeah. if you catch my drift. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, you can't have it both ways there. Yes, he's definitely very clinical about describing women's appearance in a specificity, specificity that's not usually available to heterosexual men. Yes, yes. Um, but also, yeah. it's, one, there's rumors that Fitzgerald and Hemingway had an affair. Wow, cool. Um so there, a lot of people are like maybe this is how he was like kind of working through that himself. Yeah. But also how progressive of Fitzgerald to write secretly may may basically imply that the protagonist of what became the great American novel is yeah. a gay man trying to find himself in the root wreckage of the American dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Like it was. It's not enough to just write about the American dream. He's got this uh, this uh, this gay protagonist. It's crazy. And it's right. And I, and like what we were saying, like, I don't know if there's any way to read this besides that. He's at least had some sort of romantic involvement with McKee. I mean, like some sort of sexual, something sexual happened. Even if the, if a man's in his underwear, like they're undressed, a man, you're undressed. He's showing you photographs in his bedroom. Yeah. Like something went on. Yeah. It's worth. Yeah. That's something. But even think about like the only people that, are crushed by love is Gatsby and Nick. Nick has to leave New York because he has such a rough time. Yep. And Gatsby's killed. And yeah. Gatsby's killed for love. Yeah. But if Gatsby just loved Nick, everyone's alive. It all could have <laughs> been fine. Unrequited love from the Gats. Yeah, it's really a book about unrequited love from the Knicks. From the Knicks. Hmm. Man, and that, just reading that, it like changed almost everything that I thought about this book before. pretty yeah it's pretty exciting to read this criticism and to like kind of like uh have these new lenses to look at and it's kind of cool to be able that we're looking forward to these other chapters with the with these lenses in mind so honestly this podcast is just gonna get deeper and more and more layered so you're welcome yeah we're really we're really geniuses who really follow things very closely yeah so look out yeah uh what was the other thing oh yeah i i read an article that um something i want to talk about that la- that weird bedroom scene is that Maxwell Perkins is really credited, the editor of The Great Gatsby. He edited uh, uh, Sun Also Rises, and I think... Um, this Side uh, of Paradise uh, I saw, too. Uh, Farewell to Arms. Wow. So he And I think he did a couple... He's like a legend in literature. Old Band of the Sea. Yeah. He's he's really credited with having a big influence on the book. They never I never saw specificity as to exactly what. But part of me thinks that that dot, dot, dot is Maxwell Perkins doing. Let's <laughs> make it a hard cut. Yeah, because I think, like, in my mind, Fitzgerald made, like, a very explicit sex scene. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. A very beautifully written, but, like, Fitzgerald style, like, and then they nailed each other. <laughs> Lost to time, yeah. 
that he's like, all right, I guess I won't describe perfectly with the, <laughs> my adjective precision these two men going at it. It is, I guess, 1920, and I'm trying to write a famous book. I suppose, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's like it's like it's perfectly defensible while being it's perfectly like defensible it's like you you can read it as he's not gay but it's also perfectly clear if you have any if you read between the lines even a little bit any any beneath the surface anal- analysis of this of this last part of this chapter he's gay like or like something happened with yeah. this guy he's uh, something clearly complicated that nick was not prepared for. at the same time though there's like one you could you could it's not spelled out there so like he doesn't fitzgerald doesn't need to have to answer to this thing to the country in 1925 about this that's so i guess that's maybe this editor's prerogative yeah because the editor wants to sell books and he can't yeah. sell a book in 1920 ish that like about basically a book about a gay man falling in love with a rich man yeah <laughs> they're not ready for it yet they ain't ready but otherwise, that's uh, chapter two was a, a good chapter, especially reading that scenes over again. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, I know. this is they really lay it on thick that like Mr. McKee and Nick have some very close and the, and definitely Nick and every other woman have nothing. There's nothing there. <laughs> and like, he's got every he's got every opportunity like here, left, right and center. You know what I mean? Uh, he, he never describes himself appearance wise, but he's like a rich he comes from a well-to-do family. He's yeah. a polite man. He's being thrown around by Tom and Daisy, like people with definite definite social influence. So, like, even like like George, like he can he a famous golfer wants to date him. Yeah, right. So this, I mean, like, right. There's definitely on. It's it's all on his end. It seems like there's nothing to indicate that it's not him. Yeah, he's got women who want to marry him that he leaves the, right. his city for. So right, Nick is like a way more complicated character. Then what I originally read him in, especially definitely in high school, is just like this boring narrator yeah. who watches all these rich people have parties. Yeah, he's got a lot of conflict. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot more going on. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, we still haven't gotten to a Gatsby party. We have so much more to go. That'll be next chapter, yeah. I believe, the first Gatsby Good. party. Good. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, so that was uh, chapter two. Chapter two. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh, next episode, we'll cover chapter three, the first Gatsby party, um, and the first time we meet Gatsby. Yeah. Uh, I'm Kevin. I'm Terrence Hartnett. Uh, this was so much the for OK Gatsby. The Thank OK you. OK Gatsby. Peace.